This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast, where you'll learn the strategies and tactics you need to become a millionaire agent. Learn from top agents, brokers, team leaders, and experts in the industry who can help you on the path to success. And now, here's today's episode. Give us a little bit of introduction to your team and kind of what you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I am uh, joining from sunny Northwest Florida, uh, located in the panhandle of Florida. If anybody's ever heard of Destin or 30A, uh, we specialize in second home, ideally investment properties. Uh, I work at the Spears Group, which I founded in 2017. Uh, I operate a team of about seven agents and we did $430 million in closed sales volume last year. Uh, very fortunate to have been born and raised in the panhandle of Florida. Uh, we get to work with incredible developers and uh, mostly single family homes is what we're trading. Uh, and I'm excited to join you guys today. I looked, uh, I looked a little bit about uh, your company in general, and it looks like Virginia Beach is, is um, a primary market of yours. Uh, tell me a little bit about Canzel. I, I wanted to hear just a little brief about you as well. Yeah, so we are in 18 states now. We started in Virginia Beach right. and we're now in 18 states across the country. And we are very similar to EXP in the fact that we do revenue share and we give people ownership stock. But we feel like there's three things that kind of set us apart. And one of them is we've got local leaders in each area, and we also have local brokers. Um, I know that, you know, EXP's kind of has one broker for the entire state, and we kind of really like the fact that we have local brokers in every area. Yeah. And we also like that we have, um, we call them circle leaders. So we have managers that kind of oversee those, those areas. And then one of our biggest passions is to give back to the community. And so we give 10% of company dollar profit back to a bunch of different um, nonprofit wow. organizations for, you know, different organizations that help with crisis pregnancy center, uh, feeding the homeless, stuff like that across the country. So that's one of our biggest biggest passion. So tell me about what helped you grow your business. So what was kind of your biggest lead source that kind of helped you from the beginning? And then what's your biggest lead source now? Yeah. So just to give you a little bit of background on me, I got into real estate at the ripe age of 18. So um, fresh out of college and I did go to college early. Uh, I was called Doogie Hauser throughout my years in college. And Coincidentally, had no idea who that was. Uh, it was probably my fresh baby face that gave me away when I started taking college courses at the age of 14 and uh, ended up graduating with a bachelor's degree in business and finance from Florida State, 18 going on 19. So I knew like as I was getting to the tail end of my college career that I wanted to be more entrepreneurial in my approach to business. Um, you know, studying finance, I remember sitting in uh, economics class when Lehman Brothers collapsed. And it was such an eye-opening experience. And I know today that feels so foreign, um, you know, thinking back to the Great Recession in 2008, 2009, and, you know, subsequently forward. But uh, it motivated me. And uh, I remember having an accountant come into class and they were talking about how 
starting salary for an accountant if we wanted to leave and go up to Atlanta was $30,000. And I had just got my real estate license. I had joined a team, which, um, which was really instrumental to my growth and uh, was working doing broker price opinions at the time. Um, and it was very interesting to kind of watch, uh, you know, how a salary based employee came in and talked about their job. It just didn't get me excited. There was nothing about it that, you know, sitting at a desk working for somebody else for $30,000 a year um, was the opposite of why I decided to spend the last four years of my life getting a college education. I wanted to look for greater opportunity. And so getting into the business, we every day create our own opportunities. And I learned at a very early age to prospect, to be very proactive about how I approach my business. And um, I'd say even to this day, that's one of my, my, my greatest attributes and tools is to prospect with a purpose, you know, showing up, bringing value and being able to leverage deals, not only that I'm doing, but also my team around me. And you guys have incredible offices all over the country. It's amazing to be able to say, hey, you know, my team members here did this, you know, and just talking about your circle groups in general and circle leaders, you're able to leverage each other and, and compound that success. And so um, at Spears Group, which uh, I started about five years into my 13-year career, um, we really were founded upon uh, the, the opportunity to collaborate with one another as well as share each other's success. And so even like the way that you guys share how transparent you are in your giving is unbelievable. And side note, my, um, my grandmother spent 20 years of her life volunteering at Crisis Pregnancy Center. It was one of her, um, her, her greatest legacy investments, as she would call it. And she ended up passing away last year. So when you told me about that earlier, I kind of got goosebumps. So kudos to you guys for investing in your communities. Wow. That's awesome. So one of the things I heard you say is that you really prospecting is what kind of grew you. And I would say one of the biggest things that I hear agents say all the time is they're like, I just hate prospecting. <laughs> they're like, I can't stand doing it. I can't create a routine. Yeah. So I want you to really dive in on this because, you know, even if you ask me, I don't love prospecting. It's not really my thing, but I think there's ways that you can do it where it doesn't quote feel like prospecting. So talk to me about really like, okay, did you do time blocking where you said, look, I'm not setting any appointments between nine and 11 AM or whatever it is. And then this is exactly what I said on the phone. And I'd love if you would maybe take Wayne Lewis, who's on the call and pretend like Wayne is a prospect and, and really role play with him. I love it. Hey, Wayne. Wayne, unmute. You're muted. Hey, Wayne, you got Wayne. called out in front of everyone. I love that. <laughs> you, must be, you must be real good on the phone. Times <laughs> in, in high school. Nice. So what's interesting. So going back to the ways that I prospect. I could prospect in a multitude of ways, but we all have to start somewhere. So if I approach prospect, like I'd approach fitness, you know, if you haven't worked out in a while, are you going to wake up and run the marathon? Probably not. And if you did, it may kill you. So it's, it's that slow incremental gain. And I think, especially in our culture today and where our business is at, everybody wants everything now, you know, a lot of folks will look at me and go, 
you know, how did this young guy become so successful? He it just, he, his parents must've given it to him or, you know, it just seems like it happened too fast. And, you know, they don't, they weren't there at uh, the age of 18, working 15 hour days, doing 500 broker price opinions a week to kind of see that come together. And I'd say the same thing with your prospecting efforts. With prospecting, it's it's being comfortable picking up the phone and A, making phone calls to warm leads. I never prospect cold leads typically, unless I have a purpose, meaning um, if, if I've got a buyer and in our market, Gulf front property, which is waterfront property is so rare. If I've got a buyer looking for a Gulf front home, I've got the most exciting value proposition for somebody that owns a Gulf front property because A, my buyer is likely willing to pay a great price point. And if they're even thinking about selling, I'm going to call them providing some level of value, whether it's a market education or um, you know, it's a prospect for sale, it's, it's an opportunity to, to connect. And so all prospecting is, is opportunities to connect and build relationships. Some of my best phone calls are phone calls where 95% of that call has nothing to do with real estate. You know, I may be calling a past client or I may be calling another agent. And then, you know, that, that 5% kind of melts in. So with Wayne, we, we talk about doing maybe a, a cold call. Um, I don't know, Wayne, if, if you typically cold call or what your prospecting looks like, but I'm glad to, to role play through something with you. Okay. Um, let's go with, uh, well, you call it. You want me to be the the agent? You want me to? No, be no, no. He do it where you're just. It's it's somebody. Wayne is someone that you know, and you are trying to get him to either buy, sell, or give you a referral. Ooh, oh, I like it. Well, I usually prospect seller leads. Right. So I'm typically calling and trying to get somebody to part with their property. And in today's market, it seems impossible, especially when our inventory has been down to, you know, 30 days or less, um, which in a market of five plus billion is uh, quite limited. So, Wayne, are you comfortable being the seller? Or would you like to be the, sure. uh, the agent? I like All to right. be the seller. All right. Wayne, what do you own? Let's let's say I own. Let's say I own a $750,000 house, a uh, four bedroom, four bath, two story with a pool in the back, uh, as well as a three car garage. And I own it in, well, you don't know for me, but let's say I own it in uh, South Dallas. I love it. Oh my gosh, I love South and Dallas. Whew, that's a hot market. All right, let's do this. Hey, Wayne, this is Jonathan Spears with Sotheby's Realty. I'm calling about your property that you own and real curious, you know, what your intentions are with it. I've got a prospective buyer that has asked me to prospect your neighborhood. They are looking to buy cash. And I want to know if you'd be interested in selling. Jonathan, first of all, thanks for calling. But right now we are, we are not ready to move. We've been here about maybe 10 years. We might've talked about it, but we're not sure we're ready to make that decision just yet. Yes, sir. No, I completely understand. And I respect that. When you say you aren't ready, have you considered doing something in the past? Yes, we have. We have discussed it on a few occasions. Wayne, if you could wave a magic wand and have the perfect scenario for you and your family, what would that look like in terms of housing? Well, we'll probably move a little further away from the, the big city, maybe a little further south to a little rural area. 
a large area, maybe a couple of acres of land, mm-hmm. allow the dogs to run free, what have you. But, um, you know, this still not rushing to make that move. Yeah, Wayne, no, I completely understand. Wayne, if you were to make that move, and let's just say somebody brought you a fair market offer, you know, would the interest rates today be of consideration? If interest rates started going up, would that make you less likely to purchase or does that matter? Not right now. With my with my menial knowledge of, of real estate, I believe we can sell our house probably in about 10 to 15 days. The market is very hot right now. So we're we try to make sure that you know we do get the best price, but if if we decide to put it up there, but I don't think that'll be a problem with respect to interest rates. No. And Wayne, when you say if we decide to put it up there, have you considered listing it to the open market, or if you were to sell, would it be ideal to pair a buyer with your property pre-market? Would that be of interest? Could you explain more what that means? Yes, absolutely. So. Um, at my real estate firm, we've got a coming soon program and one third of our transactions are done in-house. And so what that means for a seller is a fairly painless transaction in the sense that you don't have to deal with showing your property multiple times. Uh, we still bring a fair market value. We've got an opportunity to expose your property pre-market to build urgency if you ever decide to come to market. Is that something that you think would, would be ideal? Do you care if people traipse through your house or not? Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I care if you I mean, I know we've got a pandemic going on and we're certainly sensitive, but, you know, in today's market, it, it's nice to have somebody locked and loaded. And what kind of turnaround would you be talking about on a pre-market? Does the house have to sit there? No. So in a pre-market fashion, what we would do is reach out to our database in particular. So our firm is 18 strong all across the country. And we've got an ability to pair your property with somebody before we ever expose it to the MLS. And that allows us to have a one-shot showing with you. So we're only bringing one family into your home. We're not lining them up on the street and creating uh, you know, feeding frenzy of sorts. And we make sure that we price the home in line with market and then some. That way you're not leaving anything on the table. But Wayne, from what I heard you say earlier is that your main motivation for selling would be a replacement. Would I have to find a replacement for you first before you consider something like that? In terms of finding something out in the country? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we probably, if we buy that, that the couple of acres, we probably build, build uh, before we move. So, you know, it's, it's still... Still not in, in Stone High would go, but yeah, we probably have to find something for sure. And, and then one other question: Will we have to take some kind of hit because we're doing this pre-market on our on our uh, price there? Absolutely not. The best value for our house. So Wayne, one thing that's beautiful about being the seller is that you're going to control the process. Ideally, what I'd like to do is set a time where we could go through the market together and create a strategy. Uh, and as long as you remain objective, I think that you'd be very, very happy with the financial benefit that that would bring. Sure. That sounds, sounds workable. Wow. That was great. Oh my gosh. I I love that script. That was so great. Um, I loved every minute of it. I would, what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, I might, uh, have that typed up for agents because those questions were amazing. 
Let me ask you, what do you think is causing why housing inventory is so low right now? And what are you doing for the mindset of agents so that they're kind of like, you know, I think I've heard some agents that are like, well, you know, there's no point because there's the inventory is so low and kind of getting rid of that negative mindset. Yeah, no, of course. I think it's interesting, you know, when, when inventory is low, you know, our typical approach to the market, you know, doesn't work. So when we talk about cold calling or worm calling, like we were just role playing through most of like in our market, specifically, there's probably a population of 30 to 40,000 primary residents. We have 7,000 real estate agents. So it's a very high volume. One in four, one in three have a real estate license. So folks are constantly being prospected. They're very aware of market value. And I think agents kind of, this ties back into our prospecting approach. Agents get tired of calling people and hearing no, no, no all the time. One thing that I would highly advise you guys do from a prospecting standpoint is prospect other agents. Prospect other agents in your market, prospect other agents within your firm, and make sure that you understand what inventory may or may not be coming to market, especially if agents know you as a collaborative source. They're going to seek you out for inventory, and you're going to be able to reciprocate and seek them out for inventory. So that one of my, in my opinion, one of my best opportunities for prospecting is to make sure that I stay in touch with market leaders that are operating in my market alongside me and understanding what they have going on and making sure that we've got that kind of open relationship. That goes back to being a great neighbor in real estate and, um, you know, holding a high reputation. Others want to collaborate and work with you. So I would encourage you guys to, to start there. I mean, in my opinion, if you've got a buyer and you don't have the inventory and, and you know, you want to try to get them in front of something, finding off market, I'm nine times out of 10 more likely to do so by talking to other agents. Mm, I like that. Now, for me, one of the reasons why I think inventory is so low right now is, you know, a lot of homeowners took advantage of the dip in interest rates. And, you know, at, at one point over the last couple of years, mortgage interest rates were averaging around 3.11% for a 30-year mortgage. So that is a lot lower than it was. And so a lot of people took advantage of that dip and then they refinanced their home, took a lot of money out. And then they had plans to stay in their existing home. A lot of people refinanced to the hills, took, uh, you know, did a lot of home renovations. A lot of people I know, they're like, this is going to now be my forever home. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put so much money in and make it a place that I want to stay. A lot of people also, you know, one reason that people move is because, you know, they want to move closer to their work or they, you know, maybe they had an hour commute and they go, I'm tired of two hour commute or an hour commute. I'm going to move closer. Well, all these places like Geico, uh, Geico's CEO announced flat out and said, I'm not, you, you, we will not move back to the office. So now people created kind of their own home office. They created their house so that it would be set up so that they could, you know, have their home office. And now they don't even have to commute. So they're like, I don't need to move closer to work. So these are some of the things that I'm seeing of, of what, why people are staying, anything else that you're seeing of why homeowners yeah. are not moving, what would you say? So 
what we're seeing in our market are massive liquidity events. So multi-generational businesses that are being um, absorbed and um, the ways that either the next generation or the prior generation decide to spend that money um, really decides what happens in our market. So if we were talking about South of Dallas, you know, I've got clients that own big AC companies or one of my customers is 20, he pours 25% of the concrete in Dallas. They've been selling their businesses at this kind of peak timeline and taking that money and relocating it into real estate. And that real estate becomes a bank account for them. It becomes a, a holding asset, especially in this inflationary environment that we're in today. Um, so for us, I think as long as we see that type of reallocation of wealth, um, it's, it's only, um, it's only creating a higher level of demand, especially in our area when, you know, one person sees another person purchase something, they tend to want to either one up it, uh, especially from a seller's end. I don't know how many of you guys have sellers who go, well, my neighbor sold their house for X, you know, mine's half the size, but I want that same price or more. So, you know, I think that um, our inventory pinch is especially brought on by liquidity events. It's also brought on by reallocation of wealth and that wealth sticks and it's not being rolled over, especially to protect it as a tax haven. Um, and I, just to paint some context and picture, our average sales price is about $2 million in this market. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, um, a very affluent purchaser that would be coming in and typically a second home. Mm. Yeah. One more thing that I think is another big thing is new construction. You know, it really plays a vital role in just how many houses are sold in a year. And if you think about builders, you know, they have struggled right with the building supply costs. That's been a huge thing. Think about how much it's costing for them to even buy supplies, yet alone get supplies. I know that I saw that it was permits for new builds were down by over 25% in 2020. Yep. So they're they're not, we're not even getting these new construction builds. So that's a big thing. People go, oh, you know what? I want to buy this new construction home. Now they're ready to sell that. Well, if that's down on inventory, that's another big reason of why, you know, this might be a big factor. So let's change gears real quick and let's talk about what is kind of the Thing that you're doing with social media. So are you getting clients from social media? What are you doing to kind of build that social media platform and getting buyers and sellers that way? Yeah, definitely. So from a social media standpoint, if you guys ever want to follow along with me, uh, I'm probably most active on Instagram and you can find me at Spears Group, which is S-P-E-A-R-S or at Jonathan M is in Michael Spears. Um, but from a social media standpoint, it's amazing because the way we connect with our customer has changed so drastically just in the last few years. Um, the, the Instagram stories have become so popular. Uh, I know everybody's heard of TikTok or your kids are doing TikTok. Um, you know, for me, I try to stay away from TikTok because it's so time consuming, but um, Instagram allows me to immediately connect with an audience and sell a lifestyle. So in our second home market, I'm not trying to attract you uh, for shelter, which your primary house is really your shelter, but I'm trying to attract you to the sunshine, the beach, 
um, you know, the second home aspect of the market. Uh, so from an Instagram standpoint, I'm really trying to project a lifestyle that uh, my demographic may want to come in and enjoy. And I think if I were in more of a primary market, I'd focus on not just the, the areas that I love, the restaurants that I love, but also, um, an education tool for others. So some of my Instagram and, and Facebook and TikTok focuses have been, um, speaking clips, sound bites, maybe even like the ones that we did with Wayne, uh, on prospecting and, um, you know, cold calling, but for the most part, having a holistic approach to, to social media is an opportunity for you guys to get in front of folks immediately. I know like I'm with Sotheby's international realty. Somebody used to ask me like, why tell me about the international piece. And truly you guys are so fortunate because back before we had iPhones, um, you know, the international piece used to be so big now. I mean, you guys can literally get on your phone and, you know, connect with anybody in the world in a millisecond. Um, so you're truly international agents, your Instagram feeds, your TikToks, uh, your Facebook feeds, they immediately allow you to connect with, with others anywhere in the world. And it's even more beautiful because it's right here in everybody's pocket and it follows them around. So I would utilize social media as your greatest marketing tool. And I'm sure everybody's heard that over and over and over. But um, from, a, from a social media standpoint, I'd focus on video, um, still photos, I usually don't get as much traction on. So I try to have uh, the same content relation, which shows my personality. It shows who I am. Um, and it also allows me to show the lifestyle of the area that I'm selling. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Kanzel Realty. One of the other things we give you is revenue share, where you get five levels of money in your downline every time you attract an agent to the company. And guess what? The first three levels open up right away. So let's pretend like you're not a great recruiter, but you bring on a couple people who are heavy hitters. Guess what? You don't have to hire five or 10 agents to open up those tiers. You automatically get those. So that's what makes us very different. This is Kanzel. So give me three tips. So do one for brand new agents. Let's say they don't have any listings. They're a new agent. What would be the exact Facebook post that they would do? And then let's talk about three posts that a seasoned agent would do that could give them business right now. Like, like give them exactly the script they would do. What's the picture they're going to do? What would you suggest? So, um, I, that's funny. So first of all, always bring value in whatever you're doing. Right. I mean, even like on my social page, if I'm posting something, it, it really needs to be something of value or of interest to my, to my followers. If you're starting off with zero followers, I would start off by video engagement and I would either reach out to a team leader or somebody in your company that has a beautiful property video that you want to display and you could display that or um, what I've seen work really effectively with my team is they physically go into one of our listings and do a property tour. And that allows them to put themselves out there, uh, showcase a little bit of their personality and also provide expertise. So they're providing value. Um, that would be the first thing I would do. If I was starting with zero followers, then I would do a little bit of research on the algorithms of social media and the hashtags that you should use. So from a verbiage standpoint, I wouldn't just put beautiful house, love it, period. 
Uh, this is the address. This is the price. I would give less information if possible, because you want to become a gateway for your customer to, to, to receive information from. So your goal is to be objective and get folks to ask you questions, to interact with you. Um, so from a posting standpoint, I would also try to hashtag certain areas, especially if you're in a, a great neighborhood that you think folks would follow, or if you're in a specific city that people pay attention to, or if the home has a beautiful feature, like Wayne's house had a pool in the backyard. You know, one thing that I love to, to look at, especially on Instagram are big pools um, or luxurious pools or something that, you know, kind of draws me in from a, uh, an optical standpoint. So it's funny that you say that about TikTok. My son, I'm going to have him do a training for our company. He's 11 years old. And I sat down with him. We were snuggling in bed. And I said, Kyle, I need you to teach me TikTok. He literally in seven minutes taught me everything I needed to know about TikTok. And he's an amazing trainer. I can't believe how good he is. So I'm going to have him on one of our calls to yeah. teach us what to do. Um, Can you record that for me, please? Yes, I, I will. I will. Because he's really good at it. It was amazing how I was like, oh, wow, this is easy. And we laughed and laughed. But um, what about, you know, do you ever go and do business highlights? One of the things that we have talked about with our agents is doing business highlights, going in to different restaurants, like every time you go somewhere and literally just turning on your camera and getting, you know, maybe one of the waitresses or someone to hold it for you. Do you ever do that? And can you talk about that at all? Yeah, absolutely. So in fact, we've partnered with certain restaurants in our area that we feel are not only iconic, but what we frequent. So, and that kind of goes back to selling a lifestyle, um, you know, whether you're in primary market or secondary market, uh, folks like to go out. They love to eat. And I think giving a story especially is going to be so powerful. So I know I didn't hit on this earlier um, in terms of like selling a property, but you always want to sell a story. And so when you go into a restaurant, maybe you sell a story of, you know, their key lime pie, which in Florida is a staple. Um, I actually did a um, an article with the Wall Street Journal about our area and they what they printed versus what I said. I said a lot of things, but what they ended up printing about was this lobster quesadilla from a local restaurant that is very popular in our area. And that's what became something very engaging for the audience that they were going after. So if you're going in to do that, a business highlight, I would really focus on one part of that business that you are personally passionate about and that you could convey. Maybe you love their coffee, like it's the best coffee in the world and you want to talk about it, or, or maybe it's great service. And, you know, it can be any level of, of, of detail that I think you're your prospective audience would engage with. Mm, I love that. So if you were a seasoned agent, which you are, but um, if someone on the call is listening, what are they going to do to get into the luxury market? I know that's one of the areas that you've really pushed through. And I know there's some agents here who really are dying to get into that luxury market. What are you doing to get, what would you suggest if they're not in the luxury market now to get into that? Okay. So what's great about my career is that I did not start off selling $15 million houses. Um, I started selling foreclosures. My very first sale was $92,000 and it was to a veteran home buyer, which I absolutely love serving. 
And, um, you know, I considered all the challenges of those transactions to be incredible learning experiences. So when I started looking at how to break into the luxury market in my area, it was really focusing on where am I gravitating? You know, a lot of folks will, will pull up their hot sheet every day. I always pull up my hot sheet and I filter top down. So I'm looking at the most expensive transactions to the, to the least expensive. And I look at the whole list, which um, has been a lot shorter these days, but um, understanding what's happening in a luxury market will position you to be able to talk intelligently about it. So when you have those opportunities or you put yourself into a position of opportunity to go after a luxury listing or to deal with a luxury home buyer, you're able to provide information that's ultimately value to them. One thing that I'll tell you about luxury sales that's most important, especially today when we're seeing a lot of off-market transactions, is understanding the story of why a transaction occurred. Why did somebody just sell the most expensive home in the market? Who was the buyer? Why did they decide to purchase that home? You know, what made them part with that sum of money for that product? And I think we can become especially, um, you know, jaded to the fact that others don't have all the information we do. In a day and age where Zillow and Realtor.com and all of these uh, online sources can provide information, even the tax records, if somebody's willing to comb through them, uh, you're in a unique position to tell a story about why that occurred in the market. And even when I go into listing appointments and I go through the data and I'm educating a seller, like I talk with Wayne about coming into my office and doing or doing over a Zoom call, Telling that story is always the most powerful grip because they may be meeting with five other agents in that market, but those agents don't know the story of why things transacted. And that is value to them and their asset. I love that. This was absolutely amazing. And Jonathan, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review so we can get this out to more agents. And tune in next week for another power-packed episode. This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast.